All right, you start. I'll start. How do we start? <laughs> you say my name. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Okay, ready? And that is Doug Jones. And this is Call and Response. A podcast about movies. This is every week. Doug and I sit down in the infamous shed. One of us tees up a movie to discuss. Another one bats... Um, I don't know about this metaphor. That's two sports. Another You're one mixing of... sports. Um, res- lobs with a response film. And we... I still think that's another sport. I don't know. Anyway, you guys get the idea. This is what, our, our 12th uh, episode so far? Yeah. Something I think like officially, if, if one of us tees up a film, uh-huh. then the other one caddies back. I don't. Would... Is it too late to start this episode over? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. Hello. Let's just move forward. So uh, this week was my week to pick the movie, to pick the call film, if you want, and Doug's week to respond. I'm really excited about this one. This was a curious. This was a curious one. Well, it's kind of an interesting uh, difference from last week's episode, where we talked about you know two sort of American classic titans of cinema award-winning filmmakers and then the like imdb credits for this week's movies are just like a wasteland (laughs) (laughs) these are career killers these movies so my film that i chose was sleepaway camp from 1980 something three three all right dear mom and dad i've been at sleepaway camp for almost three weeks And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba, revolve! Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleepaway camp. You won't be coming home. So, I think we mentioned this before. Uh, we should mention it again. You should have seen these movies before listening to this show. We're going to be spoiling them terribly. And Sleepaway Camp especially has got one of the best endings of all time. And we're going to talk about the ending. So, watch the movie before listening to this. Sleepaway Camp has been out. It's out there on various DVD releases, so it's no. not it's not a hard movie to find. I think you can see it on YouTube, even. Is it on YouTube, too? Although, you know, funny story, and then your response film, The Pit, from 1981, is a bit harder to find. There's some DVDs and VHS tapes out there, and it's also on YouTube. But I went to my local video store this week, and I was like, Sir, I would like Sleepaway Camp and The Pit, and he was 0 for 2. He didn't have either of them. Oh. Can you believe that? That's no good. 
I just I went to YouTube for both of them. Isn't that crazy? I think Sleepaway Camp is on Amazon Prime as well. Yeah. If I you, can't if, afford that. If you're one of those people who if you're if you're prime, if you consider yourself prime. What am I, a billionaire? You've bought your way into the Prime Club. Which actually I do every Christmas because they give you free shipping and then you just cancel it afterwards and you're golden. Oh man. Well you're like the worst person ever. You're like the reason insurance companies are all messed up. Oh, did you hear about my insurance? What have you heard? <laughs> How many times have you seen Sleepaway Camp? You know, I haven't seen it that many times. Me either. I've seen it I've seen it a couple times back in college days, I feel. But I don't think I've seen it in over a decade. And have you seen any of the sequels? I Well... Because there are like four or five. There, Yeah. This will come up. But I'm like, jumping I around. I was so intrigued by certain things about Sleepaway Camp. Uh-huh. I went out and found Return to Sleepaway Camp. Right. Which is officially the, the fourth movie. Fourth movie made. But it is, and it's made by the original director. Yes. But it, it sort of is one of those sequels that completely ignores or says, you know, those two previous sequels, those didn't happen. So yeah, so anyway, I've watched the fourth sequel, which depending on who you talk to, is the second second sequel. Right. If that makes sense. Um, if you talk to Robert Hiltzik. Right, that's what I was writer. trying to look up when that Al flew in here, Robert Hiltzik's name, because we're going to talk about him a lot, too. He's an interesting little character. <laughs> I've not seen any of the uh, sequels. The the other two sequels, the straight sequels that came, you know, like, immediately afterwards, right. star Bruce Springsteen's sister. Right, she plays Angela. Angela. I like the poster for Sleepaway Camp 2, because it's, like, her, and she's got a backpack on, and in the backpack is, like, a hockey mask and a Freddy glove, and, like, she's taking those to camp. It's like, what? I'm on board. All right. That sounds crazy. Let me just sort of run through quickly the basic plot, I think, of Sleepaway Camp. I don't know if this really matters. Because we're going to talk about you should have seen it. But anyway, so <laughs> this movie's funny. It kind of starts in the future, right? Like, the first opening scenes are of the deserted camp and, like, the sounds of campers playing. So it, like... And then it jumps to the past, where it has this scene where you see Angela and her brother are playing with their dad uh, on, in a boat uh, on the lake, and an accident occurs, and some people die. And it's sort of unclear who dies. It's Angela's dad dies and one of the kids. Then cut to the present, where the sort of rest of the story takes place. If I'm making it sound more complicated than it needs to be, it's just... It, I don't know. That was a little weird, right? Where it goes the future, the past, and the well, present. The, the, weir the weird thing is about that... That the images of the camp that are kind of beneath the credits is I don't really know I don't know if that's the future if that was the past like it really you don't know when it's set it's just abandoned it's like the camp without anybody there right so it's a little it's a little mood setting yeah the music is way overwrought oh yeah the music is so over the top and a a, fa a little factoid I learned was that the composer like <laughs> the director. This movie's just such a puzzle to me. The director <laughs> met the composer like in a coffee shop or something, saw him like writing sheet music, and was like, hey man, I got a job for you. <laughs> and that's how he hired on the movie. And then the camp itself is sort of, I, 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 I sound so cheesy, but it's like a, you know, a character in the thing. And, and we'll talk more about this later as well, hopefully. But the camp is the actual camp where the director went to as a kid. Of course he did. That's where he shot the movie. Yeah, this movie has issues. 
the the meat of the story follows this young girl Angela and her cousin who go to camp together and Angela is a little different she's almost completely mute and um, she's the survivor from before exactly and she's just kind of stares at everyone with her crazy eyes and uh, you also meet her um, her unhinged Aunt Martha who um, I want to talk about more later oh on my as gosh, well Aunt Martha this, but this is one of the best part of the movies is Aunt Martha Angela and her cousin uh, have this experience at camp. Uh, a few deaths start happening. And the audience are able to see that these deaths are murders. The camp director and the camp counselors at first they say like they're just a series of unfortunate accidents. But then it gets more and more gruesome because it sort of escalates. Like, first thing that happens is this uh, guy uh, in the kitchen crew, this really rapey kitchen crew <laughs> that I also want to talk about, uh, gets scalded with an enormous pot of boiling water to death. Do pots come that big? Is that like sure. real? Why would you boil a pot? Wouldn't it take forever to boil that pot? You, you know, you've got a whole camp full of hungry kids. I think I would use a lot of small pots. Potatoes. And then the second death is like a kid gets drowned in a canoe, and they're still like, well, these are accidents. And then later, there's a kid in the bathroom who gets locked into the stall, and someone drops a bee's nest in the bathroom with him, and it gets stung to death. And it's good, like, gore and effects for these deaths, too. It's pretty gruesome, you know? Especially, like, the boiling skin um, rapist chef guy. His boils are, like, moving and popping and stuff. Then a girl gets stabbed in the shower. And as these murders are happening, they're all sort of people that have wronged Angela in some way. And her cousin. Until, like, the next murders are a group of little kids. Oh, no, no, these little kids threw sand on Angela after she got... Yeah, was it sand or water balloons or something? Well, maybe they they were the water water balloons kids, kids too. And also when she got dumped in the... um, in the lake by that other mean girl. They were, like, throwing sand at her. Uh, anyway, they all get hacked up to death with an axe. And that's, I think, where the counselors and everyone's like, oh, yeah, these aren't a series <laughs> of unfortunate accidents. Near the the very end, uh, the the guy who runs the camp, who's an amazing, also, performer with his giant mouth and always, always chomping a cigar, he uh, gets an arrow through the neck on the archery um, range. And then the final death happens at the, the the most classic scene in the movie where Angela is there with the boy Paul that she likes. And I guess she ripped his head off with her bare hands? He's decapitated. Yep. How it happened. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> but his head is no longer attached to his body. And so then the big reveal in at the end is that Angela stands up and you see a full frontal nude shot of this movie, of this movie, of this girl. And she has a penis. She's not a girl. And it's revealed that crazy Aunt Martha raised Peter, who survived, as Angela. Because Aunt Martha already had a boy, and it just wouldn't do to have another boy. So, Aunt Martha's really the villain of the piece. Like, she's really the, right? She's yeah. really the source of all evil. She, well, who knows? I mean, there's, I'm surprised that the sequels didn't go back into, that's true know, in Aunt Martha's house. Some that's sort of true. flowers in the attic type expose because that actress just nails it or or um one of the amityville horror movies you know like went back my favorite amityville horror sequel the second one goes back you know before the haunting to like the original murders right it's the sleaziest movie oh i should <laughs> i almost should have picked that no 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 i'm good too late now but you know what let's drop in a little uh, audio clip here of aunt martha to give you a taste of her delightful unhinged nature Angela! Oh, here you are! 
Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? Any chips? Why, of course. I believe there's a whole bag. Well, I'm almost sure of it. Angela, isn't there anything special my little girl would care for? Hmm? We gotta go, Mom. It's getting late. Why, of course you do, dear. We wouldn't want them to leave without us, now would we? No? No, I'm afraid that that wouldn't do. Come, children. Let's be on our way. Now what? I believe that I've forgotten something. Now what can it be? Oh, I remember what it is. I knew I wouldn't forget. I just kept reminding myself. In fact, I tied a string around... around my finger so I wouldn't forget. See? And I didn't. You never can be too careful. Oh. Well, what is it already? at it again. Here they are, all filled out and signed by yours truly. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? What are they? Why, they're your physicals, of course. We can't go to camp without our physicals now, can we? Just be careful not to tell anyone how you got them. Oh, no, no, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Even though they know that I am a doctor. No matter what they do, I'll never tell. Oh, you're such a dear. Well, run along now. So long, Mom. Goodbye, my angel. I hope you have a good time, but of course you will. Take good care of my little girl, Richard. Goodbye, Mom. Goodbye, dear. First of all, that's not necessarily the best way to send your kids off to camp. <laughs> also, there's a number of things in this movie that never go mentioned, including the fact, does anyone ever question, does it make sense to send Angela back to the same camp where her father was killed 10 yeah. years prior? Nobody ever makes reference to that. Yeah. Also, does it make sense to send your child that you're gender bending to like an overnight camp where there's going to be swimming and showering yeah. and like... Eh, I don't know. Aunt Martha, she did not think this whole thing so, through. So, the actress who played Aunt Martha uh, auditioned, and the director says he's just like to audition people without scripts and just kind of give them a feel for it, and like they improv some scenes, and she just nailed it. And they do, so people are obsessed with this movie, and pe they do these like reunion uh, conventions and stuff, and Aunt Martha is like as big a draw as Angela or anyone else. Um, she's one of the stars of the show, for sure. Aunt Martha, by the way, is named, the actress is named Desiree Gould. Oh, Desiree Gould. And of course, Gould. it's Desiree with two E's. <laughs> I don't even know. Where do we start talking about Sleepaway Camp? There's well, a lot of things. Let's talk about... What do you want to talk about? Just sort of the gross production design of this movie. Like, So I mentioned that it's shot at the camp that the director went to as a little kid. 
these are like red flags going all over the place. And then there's this really rapey kitchen crew. <laughs> it's like when they see the kids coming off the bus, they're like fresh chickens and I like them bald and so gross. Yeah. So horrible. And so the first guy that gets killed is he tries to rape Angela and that's why she boils him to death. And then there's just flypaper like hanging everywhere at this camp. It's just like really like grimy. And then also one of the things that I think people like it should genuinely appreciate about the movie is the casting is very authentic because it is like very young children cast as young children. It's not like the Hollywood thing where you cast like twenty year olds as as twelve year olds. They're like really young kids, all just running around, um, being crazy at this camp, shirtless, shirtless. While they shot this movie for like nothing, um, it seems like just such a dangerous place to put your kids. <laughs> not at this camp on this movie set. I'm saying like it's just. Seems crazy. So there's that aspect of Sleepaway Camp, the sort of gross realism of this pr- production design. And then there's also the writing and the delivery. I mean, there's Aunt Martha's sort of uh, uh, deadpan style, uh, to put it in well, one not, way. I, no, not, not deadpan. deadpan. It's like. It's over the top yeah. Tennessee Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her performance is so stylized in a way and disconnected from whatever sense of reality maybe other actors <laughs> are trying to achieve like, she, like she's never sense. seen an actor before is that what you're saying? <laughs> what's odd about it is like when you get towards the end of the film and you get the flashback of like oh here's how we got to this point here's all the messed up things that happened prior right. to this and it is this very stylized flashback that you know, they shot in the rec center of the the camp, so it's all just black, and, they, you know, it's kind of like... It's almost like one of those the, the Lars Van Trier film where, like, they just... The sets are just, like, a window or a chair and just pure black. <laughs> so they're doing this on this black stage, and you see this flashback of, the you know, the history of Angela and how Peter became Angela. And in the flashback world, it's so stylized and it's so disconnected from any reality. It's like a dream sequence. Her performance almost makes sense because it is this weird fantasy memory but when you first see her performance at the beginning of the film in what is supposed to be just like normal reality here's I'm sending you off to camp her performance is still pitched at that same fantasy (laughs) flashback level and you're like this makes no sense you're standing in your foyer of your your suburban home sending your these two kids to camp and that you're you know, John Waters would tell you to be toning it down. With her little touching her face, like, no, that wouldn't do at all. With her three fingers, just sort of like, <laughs> tap, 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 tap on her cheek. The other thing I think that's funny in sort of the writing of this is these, there are some really shitty, just poorly written insults. Like, um, during the baseball game, one of the kids yells at their kid, eat shit and die. And the other kid's like, you eat shit and live. And it's just like one of those things that's like, did a 12-year-old actually write this movie? <laughs> or um, there's a scene where the, the, the mean girls are making fun of Angela. And, uh, oh, they're, they're saying that she's queer because she doesn't want to take a shower with everyone else. And then just out of nowhere, <laughs> the girl's like capper of, a, of an insult to Angela is, oh, you're a carpenter's dream, flat as a board, needs a screw. And it's like, I thought you were saying she was gay. Like, I don't, well, okay, whatever. I think that's something that, people who are obsessed with this movie sort of latch onto is these weird lines that just come out of nowhere um there's like a band well 
there are a couple bands that and and other people that have made reference to this movie over the years. Uh, and one of them wrote a song called uh, "Meet Me at the Waterfront After the Social" or something like yeah. that, which is this weird line that Angel delivers. Another band I wanted to talk about. This is just really random. I don't know if you and these doing are, my these research. Are, these are punk bands too. Yeah, or noise bands. Right. Or, uh, there's a band called CMK or CK CKY CKY sorry CKY which stands for Camp Kill Yourself and the band leader is actually married to the actress who played Angela in real life and the band leader and Angela met on the set of the movie Doug's oh, flipping sweet. through his notes I was gonna say you mean Felicia Rose <laughs> I thought you had more bo- uh, notes on Camp Kill Yourself <laughs> no. the post punk band the the Wikipedia page for Camp Kill Yourself the band is longer than the Wikipedia page for the movie Sleepaway Camp like, it's got a following. It's like a whole thing. So there are a couple of sort of things in, in researching this movie. I, I, I tried to research it like you researched It's a Wonderful Life. I found books and books in the library. In researching the movie, there's sort of these, like, uh, things I came up with that sort of are incongruent with each other. Like, so one thing I read was that it did do actually pretty well at the box office. And it, like, outgrossed bigger movies like Amityville 3D, which came out at the same time, and which has much larger budgets. But Sleepaway Camp made a lot more in the theaters. And, like, it played longer in the theaters than other big-budget titles of the same year. But then also, the director was saying that, like, he's very surprised by the film's cult status and, like, enduring popularity. And, like, he sort of is the only movie he's ever made. He made this one movie for, like, $300,000 that he, like, raised himself. And then, like, I guess he just kind of disappeared. But And so he's, like, surprised that it's an enduring and popular but then I've also read that it made quite a bit of money. So I'm not sure which is true. Like, did it make money or not? I don't know. Well, it probably costs, you know, compared to what whatever its actual budget was, I'm sure it cost about $5 to make this movie. <laughs> they didn't spend a lot on much of anything. Yeah. They didn't, certainly not costumes. So, yeah. So let's talk about this director a little bit. Cause, so it's intriguing to me. So the guy raises all this money, $300,000, and he kind of writes this story all himself, just out of the blue, and then just never makes another movie again. I mean, granted, I don't know. I mean, was this a huge failure? I mean, wouldn't people have something else for the director of Sleepaway Camp to do? They went on and made four other sequels. Didn't involve him at all. Right. Well, no, he made the he made the. Oh, he made the mo- he made return. He's like come back around since it's been a cult phenomenon. Which took him. Apparently, they filmed it, and then it sort of sat around for six years while they waited on the special effects. Yeah. There was so, some long delay, but maybe he's just incompetent. One thing that I came across when I was looking around is, is he created this film. He wrote the screenplay. But the producers retained all the rights. Right. Rights to the characters. So Which is fairly common. When they went on to make the Same thing second with and Spring the third, Breakers right now. Spring Breakers. Yeah. Same thing. So, but when they went on to make the sequels, I don't know if they never they just never went back to him. They didn't ask if he wanted to do it. He has said he's not that into the sequels. It's right. not the direction he would have taken right. the story, as we eventually see in his story. Now, one side note on the producer, the producer who did produce Sleepaway Camp, went on to produce Sleepaway Camp 2, Sleepaway Camp 3, and also John Sayles Mate 1. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And is that it? That's all the guys produced? He made a he oh, produced okay. a couple other Z grade genre films. Funny. 
But yeah, John Sayles Mate One. What a weird world. I suppose I have that Mate One book. I should have pulled it off the shelf and looked and see what John <laughs> Sayles has to say about this character. But even, you know, John Sayles definitely worked in this arena back then. Yeah. He was a, you know, he wrote the screenplay for Piranha. Yeah. He wrote the screenplay for Alligator, which is an awesome. The awesome indie film world is a small world, yeah. You know? So this guy, he makes Sleepaway Camp, and then he, he kind of le- goes and becomes a lawyer, and he gets married and has three kids, and in like reading a lot of the interviews with him and interviews about him, a lot of people sort of say that he's sort of cagey and like surrounded by, he's like mysterious, and like it's sort of hard to get him to explain sort of some of his motives behind making this movie, or like, um, or I don't know, or what, what's going on with him. So, like, he put all this stuff together to me. Like, him making a movie set at his own camp that he grew up at. And it's about being forced into, like, a gender-bending uh, sort of scenario. And I'm wondering if... <laughs> is the director gay? And is he sort of got these issues that he's dealing with, but he can't, like, sort of directly come out because he's married and got three kids now. You know, he doesn't want to, like, ruin his life and his family. Well, Am I getting is... too heavy for the show? No, no, no. I, I don't know. There's definitely something there because one thing that this sleepaway camp is unusual for is that there is for you know for the era for a, a exploitation film and especially you know it's a summer camp there's swimming and showers and all sorts of stuff there's no nudity except there's, well, well there's no female nudity exactly there's some but b- there some are lots buns. of men young boys counselors you know, right off the bat, instantly, you know, like they're running around, it's that, it's that hot, you know, the, the teenage boys cannot seem to wait to take their shirt off in this film. <laughs> and some of the shorts of some of the counselors, you're just like, yeah. whoa, come on, and put they, on some sweatpants. And they, uh, there's a skinny dipping scene too, which none of the women participate in. Oh. It's only the young boys. Yeah, I don't know. So it's, that's, I mean, that is one of the things that gives this film a very particular feel to yeah. it. It's also why I kind of liked your response film a lot. Um, the Pit, because I feel like The Pit is also sort of about a sexual awakening gone awry yeah. sort of thing, you know, and about culture and society coming to uh, into conflict with your raging hormones. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think with Sleepaway Camp, too, I mean, it is, there's no, considering the ending, the, the gender bending that happens, there's no way to deny that there is some sort of weird sexual politics going on in this film. All throughout the film, there has just been this constant air of, you know, if you're looking, especially if you're looking for it, once you're aware of it, you can't get away from this just weird, yeah, uncomfortable sexuality that just bubbles underneath the yeah, surface. Yeah, yeah. From the very beginning, well, I mean, you were saying the, the, the chef, the first one to die. The pedophile. The pedophile. Like, there's a very un, there's a very seedy, I'm about to rape this young girl. And he's scene. so like open about talking to with his coworkers too. And they're like, "You're crazy, man!" Like, what? Like, none of them are just like, yeah. "You should be in jail." But also, I mean, one of the other kills, and actually the one that you didn't mention when you were running down the list, is one of the girls that has been especially tormenting Angela. She is killed by apparently getting a curling iron. Oh, that's right. I did forget about that one. Basically getting raped with a hot curling iron. I think I blocked that one out of my memory. It's horrible. Yeah. 
I mean, and it's not that. That's not overly. It's not one of the overly graphic things. No, thank God. It's the camera moves, and all you see is you know the shadows, the shadows, and her arms flailing in the air. But you know what is happening is is undeniable. And you're just yeah. Like, it's not pleasant for someone to be shot by an arrow or hit in the face with an axe. But I feel in slasher movies, like those kind of kills are. That's part of the fun. You're along for the ride. When something gets like, right. There, there is a, there's an odd line with movie kills where this is all fun. That's oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, take an axe to those kids, whatever. Yeah. And then I think in certain movies, in certain kills, you're just like, ooh, that's mean. Yeah. Like I feel kind of, I now feel a little bit uncomfortable with my own position as a spectator watching this for entertainment. Yeah. And and with the, the the curling iron rape death is is like you can't show it, you know, so it's not like you get any like gore value out of that. You know what I mean? Like an arrow through the neck or like boiling water. You get like some good gory effects and yeah. it's like that sort of visceral thrill. This it's just purely the psychological horror of it. Yeah. Anyway, grim stuff. But uh, it's a fun movie. <laughs> no, I mean, that ending is so great. And then the, the, you know, so she stands up, she's covered in blood, and she's holding her boyfriend's severed head. This screaming face, which is the iconic thing, it's like the main image on the fan sites is all her screaming face. And you see her penis. They had a college kid uh, shave his body and pose with a plaster mask of her face. And that's how they got the long shot of her. It's naked. so odd looking. I mean, she looks. It's really creepy. She looks like an alien. She looks like an alien or a caveman because the the wig that they did for this practical effect too, it looks like they scalped Captain Caveman. <laughs> I mean, it's so much more hair than she actually has, and it's so yeah, unhuman like frizzy. You're just like what? And they explain everything leading up to that final shot, so that they don't have to do any other scenes after that. So it freezes on that shot of her yeah. face, and then it goes to green, and then the credits start rolling, and they start playing the theme song over. And I it's think, one I of think the that's best. a throwback to 400 Blows. <laughs> it's one of the best endings ever, I feel like. Up there with 400 Blows, up there with... <laughs> well, like, Some Like It Hot has another amazing ending, too. It's also like a gender-bending weird thing. Part of the AFI list of um, great movie endings. Yeah. What are, I don't know. I mean, I think there is, there's... Combining the two the two things that we were just talking about, like his direction and her performance throughout the film, are such an uh, an odd combination that also give a lot of the, I think this the odd staying power for this film. Yeah. Because the way he directs, and you know he's working with an editor, but the way this film is edited, it's so blunt. Like the edits, it's. You imagine they edited this film with a pair of scissors and scotch tape. Right. It's, it's no, very TV. It's very like, eh, like you're going into commercial breaks and stuff. Yeah, and there's no... But even then, there's not... There's so often this odd... There's not. It's not that there's not a rhythm, but it's just such an odd rhythm. Like, there will be back and forth conversations between one of the... You know, the kids who are tormenting Angela and they're hurling insults at her. And then cut to Angela kind of absorbing it. And you almost think it's a freeze frame. Because as you said, before <laughs> she's mute for like the first chunk of the film. Right. Eventually she warms up to a few people and starts talking. But her typical, her, shut up. her typical response is just to stare at people. 
But it's not like I'm staring and I'm going to tilt my head as if I'm thinking to indicate there's something going on behind my head or I'm going to blink at you <laughs> like a normal human would. She just stares at them. Yeah. And the rhythm of the shots is such that you just sit there for a second too long. Right. Or just enough for you to be like, there's something wrong about this shot. And then he'll cut away. And even the, you know, the staging of that final reveal, the final thing at the end with just her and she's not making any sound but her mouth is open like she's <laughs> auditioning for the remake of V she's about to chow down a hamster I mean it's open her mouth is amazingly wide and her eyes are in the corner of her sockets and yeah now one interesting thing like I said I watched Return to Sleepaway Camp uh -huh. which is written and directed by the original director the original pervert and again <laughs> Sorry, I'm... So and, sorry. you know, our, our spoiler warning will now extend to Return to Sleepaway Camp. Okay. Angela comes back at the end of Return to Sleepaway Camp, and she takes... At a certain point, she's been in costume the whole time. She pulls off this rubber nose and this mask that she's been wearing. She's again been masquerading as a man. And she strikes a pose very similar to the original pose, with her mouth wide open, but she's laughing. And you see the way that she... This actress laughs, her it's... mouth opens really wide and she just laughs in her throat. So I almost wonder if for Sleepaway Camp, the original... She was laughing. She was laughing and... They just took it out? They took it out for whatever mm. reason. If For no other reason than just to make it more weird. Unsettling, yeah. It's an interesting choice. The, yeah, the, I think the question of, of choice comes back around too. <laughs> <laughs> with this film in the pit. Uh, it's worth, you know, we talked about Felicia Rose, who played Angela. We want yeah. to talk about behind the scenes a little bit. Yes. As Lane said, you know, the, the filmography of the people who worked on this film, they basically worked on this film and then nothing. Or, you know, maybe they came back for a sequel or two. Uh, certainly the director never did anything. He got a law degree. Good for Wait, him. With the pit, too, which we're about to talk about, is such a career killer, it looks like. We talked about... Yeah, the producer Jerry Silva, who uh -huh. you know, went and did the sequels Sales, in May yeah. One. Now Felicia Rose, she did this movie in 1983. Right. According to IMDb, her next credited role was in 1993, ten years later. Yes. And that's in some random movie. And then she doesn't really do another role for another ten years. 2003, she starts working. And you can see this is the point that people who maybe saw Sleepaway Camp as a preteen themselves have gotten old enough to start making movies themselves. Because starting in 2003, she is in, she's done like a hundred movies in the past really? ten years. She's just in movie after movie after movie. It's all genre stuff. Yeah. And you can just see behind the scenes people are going like, I'm going to make my first straight to DVD movie. Yeah. I've got these parts I need to cast. You know who I want? Felicia Rose. Get me Angela. And there's, I think there's also some value to that name too because there's sort of like the convention crowd that's going to be like flipping through movies. What do I want to watch today? Oh, Felicia Rose in this? I'll give it a shot. Um, oh, you know this woman supports herself by, you know, charging $20 for per autograph and yeah, yeah. Fangoria Con exactly. at the Ramada Inn exactly. well, she claims near the airport. Well, she claims that uh, her first acting break, that first break was so she could go back to school. Uh, I don't know if she got her master's or something. You know, it took 10 years. 
And then I think the second long break was for family. Like she wanted to raise her kids or something. Fair enough. And now she's, I guess, realized the hollowness of those two pursuits <laughs> and has gotten back to life's true calling, which is making fucking movies, dude. <laughs> Forget about family and the world of education. What, what else you got for me on Sleepaway Camp? A few other random points. I do want to give... Some credit where credit is due. I mean, we've kind of... We haven't said it outright, but basically... Robert Hilzak. He's not the greatest director. Yeah. But I do think there are a few nice moments and a few nice shots. I appreciated the... The water snake on the corpse. <laughs> on one, oh, yeah, on, that's on really the good one. Yeah. She's like, oh, that's a nice touch to throw that snake in there. Yeah. Now, apparently, too... The DVD that's out, I think maybe the Anchor Bay fully loaded DVD. Or no, Anchor Bay was a pre earlier release. There's now been another release that's like a two, you get Sleepaway Camp and I think one of the sequels. If you're a a true dyed-in-the-wool dyed Fangoria reader, you'll want to know this. Apparently, there the current DVD release, there are a few seconds missing of some of the kills. Really? Apparently, the, the snake on that corpse that I, I liked in earlier versions of the film maybe that were on cable the snake actually like comes out of his nose or his mouth or something like that but on the DVD now it cuts and the snake's already kind of halfway across his face they people have asked well what happened to those seconds and nobody seems to know huh. they're just like I don't, this is you know we made the DVD we got it straight from the producer or the distributor so they Weird. don't. They don't claim this is an edited version. It's not edited in the way that you know some TV edits get out there, where suddenly they're cutting away from so much. It's just like this weird little moment of a hmm. couple missing seconds. Strange. I also liked the. I thought a nice touch was the girl who gets killed in the shower, uh -huh. who is stabbed through the shower, not through the shower curtain, but like actually through the the wall shower of wall, the shower, yeah. and then filleted basically yeah. the knife's pulled down there's a nice moment where the killer at this point we don't know who it is but the killer then reaches into the shower and just rinses the blood off of the knife <laughs> in the shower I was like oh that's you want to take care of your tools <laughs> let me ask you something else did you notice remember the cop at the end yeah did you notice anything odd about his mustache no <laughs> go back and look if you haven't well it's on YouTube so pull it up uh huh his mustache appears to be a, a throwback to Groucho Marx. Because I swear, it's just painted on. It's just really? a big black, a big smear of black makeup. It's not an actual mustache. That's awesome. I'm just like, what the hell was going on that morning? As you were getting into your costume, you're like, I feel I need a mustache. I wonder if that's like um, the director in a cameo or somebody. or You know what I mean? Or like... Uh, I don't know. It reminds me of Deliverance. We were talking about Deliverance because remember uh, James Dickey was the, was the sheriff at the end of Deliverance. Always look at the, yeah. who's the sheriff. Maybe it's James Dickey. <laughs> it's James Dickey. He wasn't looking well back then. Oh, the other another prime moment, and this actually seems to be something that the director carries from one movie to his other movie. We got to give it up for the softball game sequence. Uh huh. Just because it goes on for about six minutes. Forever. And. For no point at all. I was, like, thinking, is it going to motivate revenge that then motivates another murder? 
It motivates nothing. It do, it's just there. You're just watching these kids play softball. It's all good fun. You get to hear some nice, uh, some of your favorite insults, as you were saying earlier. Right. But other you shit and live. Like, yeah. What is you know? Right now, let's a... let's drop in the entire six minute clip of that baseball team. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, it's a peculiar film. It's interesting choices. And then I think um, maybe the sort of last thing I wanted to mention was I I thought you'd like this choice. I hope you like this. Well, you, I have it seems like it. you're having some fun with it. I I was a little. Not hurt. I think I was a little hurt. Dis- I was a little disappointed in myself because <laughs> uh, you know okay. I used to have the I used to have a subscription to Fangora magazine. Uh huh. You know I grew up in the eighties and vi- you know the videos of all these slasher films, all these gore films. Uh, I I spent a lot of time watching this kind of cinema. Yes. And the fact that you called out with one of these films before I got to, I was like, damn it. Well, I think I know my, uh, I know my, the the world that we've created here for this show. And I'm really playing to it. Well, that makes me really happy. So, uh, the final shot of the movie, uh, best, one of the best endings of all time, freezes to green, gives a green pale of her face. And then they start playing the final theme song, which is super bizarre as well and somebody online somewhere in one of the fan sites were like oh the lyrics to the final theme song i think it's called angela's theme or something are incredibly uh resonant with the themes of the movie and i was listening i don't really get what they're saying with that but i don't know let's close out our uh sleepaway camp segment with a little clip from the final theme song angela's theme
And we're back. You're listening to Call and Response. Call and or response. And No, not and or. What's the name of the show? Call and response. Oh, okay. It's very clearly, there's going to be a call, there's going to be a response. It's not like we get to choose. Uh, <laughs> you can choose, though, dear listener. <laughs> choose to send us a tweet, follow us on Twitter. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook. All whatever Whatever podcast service you're using, hit subscribe button. Because, again, we had kind of a lag there a little bit ago. We're going to try and, you know, now that we're back on track, we're going to be more regular. But if you hit subscribe and say iTunes, then call and response will just magically appear. You won't miss a beat. Yeah. While you're on iTunes, subscribing and give us a little rating. Just give us a few nice... You don't have to say much. You don't have to identify yourself. We won't mention... We will never be awkward and have that conversation about like, oh, I saw you gave Uh, us four stars. You're making promises. I'm not going to What would have made... (laughs) Where's that? What's what's wrong with that? Bang us five stars, people. So, this week, I was sleepaway camp was my call, and Doug, I loved your response of The Pit from 1981. Not that I don't love my son, Mr. Riley, I do. But I've never been able to understand an otherwise normal boy who lives entirely in his own head. Jimmy, what are you doing in here? I was just watching you sleep. And we had an incident here with some old lady in the community. (laughs) Seeing him swinging in the trees out back with nothing on except some Superman cape or something. He'll grow up. Surely, my dear, but into what? One of those hippies. No, he's not crazy. How old is your boyfriend? He's not normal. He's distressing. I think I'm going to tell her about the things. The secret. Careful, Jamie, careful. I know where there's a huge hole in the ground. Big hole in the ground? And at the bottom of the hole, down in the dark, there's some things. (laughs) We know some awfully nasty people, don't we? Where do I want to start with Well, the as I'm sitting here in the shed, I happen to see a VHS copy of The Pit on a place of honor up on a shelf. Right. So you've... Do you enjoy this movie? I do enjoy <laughs> this movie. Here, here's sort of a history of this movie for me. And then I'll get... I'll go into my own personal history, and then I'll get... I'll go into why I selected this as a follow-up okay. to Sleepaway Camp. When I was living in San Francisco... I was living in the Mission, I was living on Valencia Street, and this is in the early 90s, so there was a certain amount of uh, transition, gentrification going on in the neighborhood, but it wasn't much yet. And on Mission Street, which was one block over, there were a number of video stores. And these were just odd video stores. They weren't actually video stores as much as they, they had electronics, they had all sorts of random things in it. One of these video stores had a fire. And then after the fire, they saved what they could of their inventory, and they had it all in cardboard boxes in the middle of the store. You could go into the store afterwards. There wasn't a lot of water damage, but still definitely smelled like smoke, and they were selling off a lot of their VHSs. 
and I picked up this VHS of The Pit. It was in a box. It was like five, you know, smoke damage videotapes. Uh, I should have bought more. It's one of those things that I. It's one of those moments in my life I look back at now, and I'm just like. I should have bought more videos from that okay. fire sale. I literally feel like we're about to be drowned in videotapes right now. <laughs> like, it would take the slightest trimmer for us to be killed in this in this shed. There's but, not some, I mean, I only got... There's a few up there. But, you know, so I got this videotape of The Pit, which is, a, you know, as any video store kid, you know, I'd seen the artwork for a long time. I knew kind of what the poster looked like. Uh, I'd never watched it, so I got this and started watching it and watching it more and making other people watch it. I have a friend, Joyce, who at one point threatened to never speak to me again if I ever mentioned the pit to her. Because <laughs> I had organized one of those evenings where people had come over to my studio apartment. I was like, oh, let's watch a movie here. Let's watch this one. And I threw in the pit, and then by the end of the evening, everyone was mad at me. Because <laughs> they were like, what was that movie? Why did you make us watch that? not that bad it's a fine I, film I think it just wasn't what they wanted <laughs> they wanted cinema not yeah. trash so the story of the pit it's the story of 12 year old Jamie who is this awkward kid he doesn't have any friends his parents are worried about them he's been labeled as a problem child by everyone in this town his only friends seem to be his teddy bear, Teddy, who, oh, by the way, talks to him. Yeah, it's a red flag. And this pit full of trolls that he's found <laughs> in the middle of the forest. His, his family is moving to Seattle, so his parents are leaving to go house hunting in Seattle, but they're leaving Jamie behind, and they hire a live-in babysitter to take care of him. He, he's you know, This is a kid, he's getting in trouble at school. When we first see Jamie... In the present, because this film also starts with a weird fractured time thing, when we first see Jamie in the present, he's writing on his classroom chalkboard, I will not bring adult books to class, because he brought this photography book of nudes. Adult, what was it called? Uh, the book's called like Adult Nude Nude, photography Adult Nude Photography. Yeah. And so as the movie goes on, you see this kid, and everyone, he's just kind of persecuted. People pick on him, his friends pick on him, or his, you know, other kids pick on him. All the adults are like, instantly, whatever he does, they're like, Jamie, stop it. You can't do that. You're a little weirdo. And he eventually comes to realize that not only are the trolls in the pit, or the trolla logs, as he calls them, not only does he look at them as friends, they are carnivores. Right. He does some research at the library. And then he gradually progresses from throwing down hamburger and stew meat to just chucking in all the people who he, th he thinks have done him wrong. Into the pit you go. It's, you know, a classic tale. Like, you get a little bit of power, you've got some trolla logs, not everyone's got them, it's gonna go to your head. Well, it's like Chekhov said, if you introduce a trolla log at the beginning of a film, <laughs> in the first act of a play, you have to, that trolla log has to go off by the third act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's basically the setup. You have the weirdo kid, all these weird things happening around him, like talking teddy bears and trolls. And ghosts, which we will get to. And, you know, he is slowly starting to enact his revenge on the people who have done him wrong. The reason that I paired this up with Sleepaway Camp is this film also, like, the people who made this film have very small filmographies, with the exception of one actress. The director, he wrote a couple of other movies. This is the only film he 
ever directed. And then it seems like he maybe had very small acting roles in a couple of things. The director, his name is Lou Lehman. He barely directed this movie. (laughs) Oddly enough, though, one of the films that he wrote, he didn't write this movie, but he wrote a film called Phobia, which was directed by John Huston. (laughs) Not really during John Huston's prime, but nonetheless, directed by John Huston. Funny. The kid that plays Jamie, Sammy Snyder, he, now, he actually came to this movie with a little bit of experience. He had been on a Canadian TV show called like, Huckleberry Finn and His Friends, or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. So he was actually somewhat known in Canada. This was apparently a fairly popular show in the late 70s. Uh-huh. But after the pit, he barely did anything. The woman who plays Sandra, or occasionally called Sandy, I don't know why, <laughs> she actually... As an actress, she has done a lot of things, but she mostly does voiceover work in animated TV shows. Like, she was one of the voices on the Pound Puppies. <laughs> and she did a voice on one of, like, a Frosty the Snowman Christmas special. But she ha- she's done a lot of animated voices, but the very few other roles of her on camera, it seems. Maybe some TV spots here and there. So again, like, this is a movie where, like, the people who made this movie didn't go on to do a whole lot It's a else. career killer, this movie. Uh, the, the, writer, so. the writer of this film, Ian Stewart, his only other credit is he had previously directed a documentary called The Highland Regiments of Canada. <laughs> uh, and then he wrote the script and then nothing. There's a great interview you can find with him online where he is, he does not think much of the film that was eventually made from his script. And it's one of those interviews where he says, look, I wrote this movie, child psychiatrists who have read my script said it's one of the most accurate, touching, moving portrayals of a young child with psychological damage they've ever read. (laughs) And then the director made this horrible (laughs) exploitation film with it. All right. Well, let me let me make this clear. I'm really glad that you made this choice as your response. And I'm really happy to to talk about this movie. I don't like this movie. (laughs) But I like that we're talking about it, and I like watching it. Also, I was halfway through watching it the other day, and I realized I've seen this movie before. I don't know why I've forgotten about it, but it's for some reason I had watched The Pit earlier. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, I think, the scene where he, he buys meat at the butcher shop is when I was like, oh, shit. That's, that stuck with I've seen you. this movie before. Well, because it has one of the best lines in the movie where he goes in, and he's like, uh, yeah, I need enough meat for five. People. This is really over-the-top delivery. People. Not five uh, trolley logs, that's what you're thinking. Five people. Uh, yeah, that's also like, oh, so you want hamburger or stew meat? Yes! Both! <laughs> also, I like it's this... kind of a combination, the dish that my mom, who is out of town, is making. <laughs> I like this choice because, uh, because like of what I mentioned before, that it's also about sort of a sexual awakening gone awry. But yeah, so... You were saying that this is sort of child psychology. The protagonist of this movie... I feel like the, these filmmakers hate children when making this movie <laughs> because this protagonist is just so selfish and like uninterested in anything other than his own like selfish desires. And he's kind of just stupid in that way too. He's just kind of like a boring, uninteresting sort of choice of protagonist because he's like a psychopath basically. Yeah. Well, apparently in this, in Ian Stewart's original script, he was written as like a six-year-old or a (laughs) seven-year-old. And then in the movie, he's suddenly 12. 
But there is the sense of they didn't really change the script. They didn't go back and rewrite anything. No, I think they, they kept him very weirdly immature and angry. Yeah, and just he is. They hate kids. These guys. Yeah, these filmmakers. This I is think. not a character where you look at him and you're like, oh, he's just misunderstood. There's <laughs> there's no misunderstanding. Jamie he is a little creep. Oh man, so much to go into. <laughs> I did the, one of the reasons I picked this film to go along with Sleepaway Camp is, like I said, it's it's a question of choice, and you know we've already discussed a lot about how these aren't terribly experienced filmmakers. These aren't people who went on to do a lot. You know, these are sort of the 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 genre, the film genre equivalent of a one hit wonder. Right. And. I hit would be stretching the term. Yeah, a one th- something wonder. One something, and this is going to sound a little presumptuous, but two of the things, one of the things that I like about both of these films is the idea, like the filmmakers. I have my doubts about whether they actually knew what they were doing or what they achieved is almost accidental. Like the mood that they create, the the oddness of both of these films may not have necessarily been what they set out to do, but there's just some something about the way that they actually do approach cinema that just gives it this very peculiar uniqueness to it. And I don't want to discount. I mean, it's hard to make a movie. It's hard to make any movie, even That's a true. really bad movie, even That's something true. that doesn't work. I mean, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort and commitment. So I don't mean to belittle them as I mean, people I... who are committed to their art. Yeah. I just don't know if they sort of stumbled across what they ultimately achieved. As far as creating an odd mood or like actually having a sense of atmosphere, I don't want to give them too much credit as to thinking through, okay, when we do this, I'm going to I'm going to hold this shot for an extra 3 seconds. Right. Cuz that's going to throw everyone's cinematic inner ear off and make it feel weird and people won't know quite what I'm doing or did they just not know how to time a shot maybe that's another reason why filmmakers so many like indie and inexperienced filmmakers gravitate towards horror not just because and by filmmakers I mean producers as well as writers and directors is not just because it's the most profitable genre but also because there's sort of that room for error where like if you leave things ambiguously strange it's just like well that's just mood and atmosphere you know not just sloppy filmmaking yeah i mean i think both movies get a a, a, have a peculiar sense about and timing about them again it kind of comes back to the editing too i think with the pit so many scenes feel like they botch the very beginning of the shot so they're cutting into the scene a couple of seconds too late and then they're leaving the scene a couple of seconds too early Right. So often with the the pit too, there, I mean, there's a lack of like establishing shots. You'll just kind of cut right, like right from one close up, cut to another close up, and in another scene with another character, and it's very jarring and it's mm. very disconcerting. You know, like I think if that was done in a like by an indie director or someone right. who has more of a, a, a filmography or has more of a history. You'd think, oh, that was a conscious choice. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're, that's a very daring thing. You've you've taken away our establishing shots. You're keeping the audience <laughs> off balance. But with these films, I'm just like, you just didn't know what you were doing. 
Yeah, I think also the thing about these two films is that they exist in a very sort of like heightened filmic universe, you know, like which which also makes me feel like the filmmakers don't know what they're doing. You know, in Sleepaway Camp, there's you have um, like Aunt Martha who just acts so weird that in the real world people would not just talk to her. They'd be like, "Why are you acting so weird? It's like you're delivering lines in a terrible movie." And in the pit, there's this sort of like uh, illogic of even physics where when he lures people into the pit you know like the little girl who just walks right into the pit like there's nothing covering the pit camouflaging it in any way he's just like walk this way and she just walks right off the edge of of the thing (laughs) and what people don't do that in real life they look where they're going right there's i mean there's a lot of very odd stilted line deliveries in this yeah like again the performances are sort of all over the place from just creepiness of young Jamie uh-huh. to, you know, a lot of the other kid actors. There's one, one little, the little girl that he goes after at a certain point, the ballerina, her line delivery of a certain line, like one of the, one of the earliest lines in the film, even, because this is part of the fracture timeline. You see at the beginning of the film, you see what appears to be a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. Although there's been no, indi- again, there's been no indication in the film that we're anywhere in the fall or it near Halloween. Like, Halloween just pops up at this one party. <laughs> there are no other decorations, although there is a cardboard skeleton on the wall of Jamie's bedroom. You've seen a pit too many times. Which is weird, but again, like, I don't think... You don't decorate the inside of your own bedroom for a holiday. <laughs> is he going to put a wreath up in his bedroom? So that that doesn't count. I don't count that as a Halloween decoration. But she says, you know, as, as she's being lured into the forest, she goes, you know, I can't go anymore. I'm scared... Something will get me. <laughs> it's just like, like anybody knows people don't talk like that. Oh man, I hope that was the director being like, can you really just like hit well, get? Get is a really key. That's word where the way. emphasis is. You mentioned before. I mean, there is sort of like this odd sexuality undercurrent to the pit where he's got the nudie photo book. In the he's beginning. got the nudie photo book. His mom in one of the early scenes that we see her, she's talking to the nanny, I think, and she says, you know, he's going through that difficult face <laughs> and he's this 12 year old kid who's you know doing dialogue that may have been meant to be written by a six-year-old but he's 12 there's a lot of leering on the part of this 12 year old boy towards other girls his age and grown women adult women yeah he cuts up one of the pictures out of the nudie photo book mails it to the librarian yeah and says says like I want to have sex with you or something basically in this letter. And then like watches through the window as she reads the letter with the pornographic image and rips it up. He's a, he's a peeper. He knows exactly how to time his bedtime request for water. Can I have a glass of water? So his living nanny will have already changed into her men's shirt pajama top. <laughs> and again, like if you're a living nanny, put some pants on <laughs> at night. But he know, Jamie knows how to time it, so she's already changed into her pajamas. She brings him the glass of water, turns around to leave his room, and he's, he knows just when to time it and say, oh, oh, wait, Sandy? So she stops in the doorway, so, there's a, so she's backlit, so again, you can see through her shirt, and you're just like, you are the creepiest kid in the world. Stop <laughs> leering at people. My wife walked into the room when I was watching this movie, and it was a scene where she's giving him a bath, and oh, yeah. my wife was like, what is this movie? That kid's too old for his mom to be giving him a bath. 
I was like, it's okay. It's not his mom. It's and I was realizing it's still not okay. Although the conversation during the bath is about, yeah, my mom gives me a lot of baths too. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh boy. When he starts killing people, again, like an odd film, odd odd directorial choice. The soundtrack for when he starts killing people, he pushes an old woman in a wheelchair, dumps her in. He gets the boyfriend or one of the boyfriends of his nanny, lures her into the forest with like, let's, why don't you teach me how to play football, football in the middle pass. of this, right yeah. next to this pit. And you know, this, and the music then is all, it's almost like Benny Hill. It's very jaunty. It's like, bow, 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 bow. Comedic. Wait, what's it like? <laughs> so like all these murders are happening and they're happening very quickly. Once he decides to kill people, he does. So he, he gets rid of like three or four people in the space of a couple of minutes. Yeah. Then there's the murder of this young ballerina girl. and hurt isn't funny. You'd probably spend your whole life giggling at other people's hurt. You should go too. That way you'd be together in heaven. You're both the same. Guess you won't be needing this anymore. I do. <laughs> Goodbye, pretty girl. again like here's a case where like we've been laughing with this movie we've been laughing at this movie you know the earlier murders were played for yucks basically and then you hit this murder you hit this one kill like the one in sleepaway camp where suddenly i feel a little bit grosser about watching this jamie decides before he pushes her into the pit and this is like another 12 year old girl he needs to remove her ballerina costume I like that story about uh, the screener showing the script to like psychologists and being like, this is really good stuff. Cause now I'm picturing them being like, this is really good stuff. You should come by my office once a week <laughs> for about six to seven hours. And let's talk more. Cause you have some serious issues. Can we talk? Have we ever talked about the male gaze on call and response? Um, I don't think so. Just the way this movie. It's, it's key for unpacking the text of cinema in general. Yeah. 
the way this movie approaches almost all of its female characters, no matter what age, gives it a really sleazy vibe. Yeah. That's uh, interesting you bring up the male gaze. I mean, I think that has something to do with Sleepaway Camp as well, because it's like, I guess the idea is you're supposed to assume that it's her cousin, a man, killing these people, because you see it all from the POV of the killer. And then the big reveal is, no, it was a girl, but she's a boy too. You know, yeah. so it's like this sort of weird thing. Also, the actress who played Angela, Felicia uh, Rose, Rose stipulated in her contract that she would not perform any of the murders on screen. So when you see those hands, which is such a weird thing to put in your contract, because she's not really murdering people, Felicia. She knows how movies work. <laughs> Again, I'm just asking whether the filmmakers knew what they were doing. So when you see the hands, uh, like, pulling the chair out from the pot of water or, or whatever... Or stabbing with a knife, it's the hands of the actor who played her cousin. So I guess it's like oh. male hands. Well, no, see, I don't know. This is what complicates things. There is that in Sleepaway Camp, there is the one POV POV shot, and it's about halfway through when Angela is supposed to meet up the boy who's they kind of like each other. And it's a POV shot that we've only gotten from the killer, but suddenly this POV shot is of Angela. Mm. And it's from the perspective of her possible boyfriend so like there's a case where like suddenly is the filmmaker just being sloppy on how yeah. he deals with pov or did he do that on purpose to throw everybody off the the other sloppiness of that stuff is that the dialogue in those scenes are is always like the most cliche like oh it's you what are you doing what here you person do yeah as he as or the, she the soon-to-be victim turns around and says, like why are you here get out of here before i tell someone yeah what are you doing <laughs> Man or woman that is attacking me. The other thing... Well, also, well, I mean, the... And again, it's just a case of how you look at... How you approach and, you know, what respect you give the filmmakers. William Freakin, in Cruising, every oh, time you see the killer, every time you see the POV or hands or anything, you see a, a shot of the killer. In that movie, it's constantly a different actor. He's always changing it up, so you never really have a clear idea who it is. So when William Freakin does it, it's like, oh, you're keeping your audience off right. balance. You're you're playing with our expectations. on the nature of anonymous sex in the in the age of the gay, uh, yeah. what have you. When Sleepaway Camp does it, we're just like, well, that's just because of the you crazy lazy. actress had this weird contract thing, yeah. and they were just like, oh, let's just do it. <laughs> the pit is also similar to Sleepaway Camp, and it also has some really great funny lines. Uh, I talked already about the meat is for five people. Uh, and then one of my other favorite insults is, well, if it isn't for clumsy, if it isn't clumsy, stupid, <laughs> when, uh, Jamie comes walking up, somebody says that to him, it's my new go-to, start calling people clumsy, stupid from now on. Now, the, the other thing about the pit that I like talking about, and one of the things, one of the things that I latched onto very early when I started watching this film is like, here's this movie. Okay. Here's a movie. It's about this weird little pre-serial killer, this little psychotic kid. So that's one movie. That would be enough if you have someone who's just, he's isolated, he's angry, right. he doesn't fit in. Then you have the portion of the film with Teddy, the right. talking teddy bear. Little Teddy. I tried everything I could think of. Then there's only one thing left, isn't there? But not nice people. 
Oh no, nasty people. And we know some awfully nasty people, don't we? And uh, Teddy's not all in his head, right? It actually moves. Well, and that's stuff. the thing. It would be very easy to watch this film about this angry, psychotic little creepy kid and think this is all in his head. Except for the one scene, the one shot in this entire film. You hear Teddy talking all the time. You hear his voice, uh, and it sounds a lot like actually Jamie's voice. I wouldn't be surprised if Jamie recorded the lines for Teddy and they just oh, messed yeah. mess with it a little bit. So you hear Teddy talking all the time, but always alone. It's not like Teddy talks to anybody else. So it would be very easy to think that this is all in Jamie's head. Except for the one shot a half hour into the film where Teddy moves all by himself. His head turns in a room. Uh, Sandra, the nanny, has just walked out of the room. She's just discovered a girly magazine under Jamie's mattress. She says, well, Teddy, this certainly isn't yours. And she puts it back underneath and she leaves. And Jamie's and not there either. Jamie's not there either. And the camera just sort of pans back over to Teddy, who's sitting on the bed. And his head turns. Yeah. It never. He never moves on his own again. I think my wife was sitting in the room when I saw that scene too. And I was like, did you see that? Teddy's head moved. And she didn't care. So, so, there, so there's that thing. It's like. It would be very easy to go make this movie and just be like, oh, it's all in his head. Teddy is totally in his head. Except for they make the teddy bear move in one shot. And they never yeah. go back to it. They never refer to it. Uh, the trollologues, again, it would be easy enough to think, oh, this crazy kid, he's making this whole fantasy world up in the forest. He's discovered a pit of trolls. Sure he has. Except for we see the trolls. Other characters see the trolls. We get the POV of the trolls. They react to Yeah, other people react to them. Um, so then, you know, because you have to accept Teddy is alive, you have to accept the <laughs> trolls are alive, and then later, after Jamie has accidentally caused the death of his nanny, she falls into the pit, when you see her ghost, he sees her spirit, and she's kind of her bloody corpse, and she's like, Jamie, well, look, look what you did to me. Again, it would be the easiest thing to think this is in his head, except for because we're now in a movie that has a talking and moving teddy bear, a pit full of trolls, you really, the easiest thing is just to accept, okay, now there's a ghost haunting this kid. Because she shows up a couple of times. Yeah. So suddenly you're in this movie with like a psychotic kid, a moving teddy bear, a pit full of trolls, and ghosts. I forgot about the ghosts. And you're just like, what else? You know, like again, they're just layering these things on. And none of these things, very few of these things seem to actually have... Relate to each relate other. Relate to each yeah. other. So it's just this odd combination. It seems like it would have made for a more interesting storytelling choice to have, not have a psychotic kid, have like a normal kid encounter a pit full of trolls. I feel like that's kind of how they sell the movie and like the marketing too. It's like, he's a normal kid. What happens when he meets the trolls and he gets the power of troll killing? But not, he's like a psychopath who gets the power of troll. It's like, that's not that interesting. Like, of course he's going to go crazy. He's a nut. Yeah. And, then, and then by the end of the movie, also we have to deal with the fact that he has thrown a rope ladder down into the pit so the trolls who I believe are actually midgets dressed up in these big furry bear, costume, bear yeah. costumes uh, you know the troller logs very easily figure out oh look a rope we can climb out of the pit are so they he's born these... in the pit? they just live their whole life in a pit? yeah I don't know it, it's kind of funny when when uh, 
his nanny, when he takes the nanny to the pit, and he just wants to show her the pit, and she suddenly discovers that what she thought were these childhood fantasies are real, she's instantly like, this is the greatest scientific discovery man has ever made. These yeah. things are thousands, hundreds of thousands of years old. You know, there are scientists called paleontologists. This will be the greatest boon for mankind. And then she falls in. <laughs> but so not only has Jamie let these flesh-eating trolls out of their pit to what we can only assume is going to be a attack on the town nearby. Yeah. He then moves away and he finds, he meets another little girl. Well, before that, actually, though, is a really anticlimactic sort of finale for the Trollologs themselves. Oh, the cop? Yeah, the, the cops police. chase them back to the pit. They jump back in the pit, and they're just like, hey, we're safe in the pit now. You know, fuck you cops, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, the cops just circle the pit with their shotguns and just blow them away and just shoot them to death. Like, what did you think we were going to do? Just because you're in a hole <laughs> four feet away from me doesn't mean we can't rain hailfire down on you. So so that is kind of anticlimactic, I felt like, an ending to the pit. Until then, the second ending comes along that you're alluding to with the second pit. Yeah. Which is and a great ending. With a little, you know, Jamie meets a little girl endings. who says, hey, let's be friends. I want to go show you my secret. And then, as you can imagine... It's a pit. It's a pit full of trolls. And he's like, oh, these are trollologs. They eat meat. And she's like, oh, I know. Bam. And she circles around behind him and pushes him into the pit. And it freeze frames again. Another freeze frame ending. Oh, yeah. Another I didn't even make homage didn't even to the 400 that. Bloods. Anything else to say about the pit? You want to take a quick break? We'll come back with Comics Corner. We'll take... Yeah. Um, the Pit, it is out there. It is on YouTube, as we mentioned earlier. Don't seek it out. It's terrible. It's You can get a... It's on DVD. There's a double... It's on a DVD double feature with, I think, a movie called Hellgate, maybe? Do, do as Doug does. Invite a whole bunch of your friends over. Say, I know it's hard to get away. Spend some time at our house. Let's come over and watch a movie. And throw on The Pit and see if, see if they want to... See uh, how your friends feel about you Be later. mad at you. Like I said in a previous podcast, I did that with Last House on the Left once, not having seen it before. And my friends were like, that was sick and gross. What's wrong with you? Yeah. It's very rapey. Very rapey movie for like a fun, let's have some drinks and watch a movie, guys. <laughs> not fun. All right. We'll be back.
And we're back. We are. This oh, was a fun one. It was. I, I got to say, though, I turned off the fan about halfway through, so one, I apologize if there was a fan noise earlier in this episode, but now you must know that Wayne... Wayne. That's how hot it is. We're That's slurring our speech. That Lane and I are now back in the shed, which can get kind of warm if this you, time of day. I apologize for the sound of sweat pouring off our bodies. It's, it's hot in the shed. It can, it, um, it can be nice, and then it gets hot, and then it gets very yeah. nice again. So, um... So we... You're listening to call and response. I'm really happy that I jumped you on Sleepaway Camp. I'm sorry Damn. that I stole your um, so many your Fangoria moves. Street cred. Let's so do let's do some recommendations uh, for this week. You got, right. you got anything? I do have I do have something. Is it in the comics corner? Should we pause it's this podcast and go corner. to our podcast within a podcast? But we can go to comics corner. All right, let's go to our podcast within a podcast, comics corner. Welcome to comics corner. I'm Lane. This is Doug. Well, so my recommendation for this week is uh, Dan Clow's Death Ray. Because I feel like it relates to an issue we were talking about with the pit, which is about... So Death Ray is about a guy who gets this ray gun that zaps people into non-existence. They just disappear. And it's sort of about how I feel like the main character, Jamie, the psychopath in the pit, uses the pit in the same way as the character in Death Ray. He's the Death Ray where, like, you start first righting wrongs and getting vengeance for true evil. But then you have this power, like Chekhov's gun... And you're like, it's such a shame not to use it on. So I would just make my life a little easier if I started whisking away these other things. Anyway, Dan Klaus is a genius. If you don't know his work, Death Ray is one of his more recent ones. But uh, very, very highly regarded. I do so, like that. I like that's that. it for Comics Corner. Thanks a lot. And back to Call and Response. <laughs> Welcome back. So uh, here we're doing a couple of recommendations. Um, what, what do you get to recommend this week? I was actually going to recommend another podcast. What? That's true. Not to send anyone away to our competition. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I have about Should you a... be listening to this one in one ear and ours in the other? No. Okay. I think that sounds dangerous somehow. <laughs> but uh, I have a long commute to my office, so, you know, I'm 45 minutes easy back and forth each way. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I want to give a call out to one of my favorites called The Flop House. Oh, I don't know this one. This is a podcast. It's three guys... Two of which are writers on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And what they do is each week or two weeks, they watch a movie. They watch a bad movie. They watch a flop, generally, or a a B-movie. Then they talk through it, much in the way that we talk through things. Uh, They do a lot of... They do a lot more plot synopsis. But they... Because of the type of movies they're talking about, they can't get through the plot synopsis without... (laughs) <laughs> stopping and talking about how terrible something was or how ridiculous this was. It's really it's it's my one of my favorite podcasts. I think it's one of the funniest ones that I listen to. What movies have they done? Like, is there any one particular one that you really liked? Oh my goodness, they did. They did. They did a movie called ATM. Oh yeah, I know that movie. People did, trapped in the ATM machine. People trapped in the yeah. ATM. They did the recently produced sequel to Easy Rider. Uh, I mean, and they'll do they'll do older things. They'll do things that are just out nice. of the theaters. Sounds fun. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very very snappy. <laughs> I it makes me laugh out loud in my yeah, car, nice. which I'm sure makes me look insane to the people in the car <laughs> next to me. Uh, so yeah, the flop house. Cool. When you're not listening to call and response, check it out. Check that one out. Anything else? No, for recommendations. No, I like to just come in with one. Well, then we get to the uh, most. What, what do I say? Without a net sort of moment of the show. The moment you're about to say something, I have no idea what you're about to say. 
It's true. So next week is Doug's week to pick a movie. I, I loved your pick last week. It's Wonderful Life. I thought it was inspired. Thank you. This one, well, I don't know. My pick for next week's I'm call ready. film. Oh boy. Butterfield Eight. Butterfield Eight. Oh, nineteen sixty. Okay. Directed older. by Daniel Mann, starring Elizabeth Taylor. Excellent. And well, should I say why I picked it? Or should I save it? Save it. I'll save it. Butterfield Eight. I'm gonna go watch it. I think I've seen it before. And then uh, we'll join you back here in one week's time for our next call and response. All right. Thank you very much for sticking around. I love you. Wait. I mean. Too soon. It was too oh, soon. Oh jeez. This is awkward. I don't even know how to have fun anymore.